Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it is we did wrong, but we think you're crazy for making us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a dazzling image on a huge silver screen. Sound that we can feel. A place heartbreak somehow feels good in. A hero that feels like the best part of you. And a story that feels perfect and powerful. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours. In a place like this podcast. We come to this place for magic. We come to this podcast to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. And stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. He's looking at you. Welcome to another episode of In a Place Like This. I'm Chris Michael Smith, joined today by Ralph Esparza. Hey, how's everybody doing? How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing great. I played hooky today. I had a little day off, so Uh-oh, I I'm hope, doing very hope well. Hope your boss doesn't listen to this. <laughs> oh God, I hope not either. <laughs> I mean, I hope they do, but also that you don't get in trouble. But also, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little, a little about yourself. Um, I am a product of the 80s. Um, I was very much raised by television and movies. Uh, I am the youngest of seven, so it means I got away with a lot of things. And uh, gosh, I mean, I'm a lover of, of, of all things entertainment and of, you know, the news and politics and, and just basically the world we live in. I just try to take it all in. Yeah. Yeah. Same, pretty much. 80s so you're you're close to my age good good yeah for once i don't feel old (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what would you say your favorite movie is that's a really tough one it's really hard because i mean i'm i'm very old so i've seen a lot of films we're about the same age you're not that old (laughs) (laughs) uh it's hard to say um i guess maybe uh, bridesmaids i don't know i just that love really good though it's really good and the way the reason i like it so much is because it's an all-female cast um and i've heard it on your podcast before that, that there's this test where you know the women in the films what is it called the bechdel test the bechdel test they it passes that which is great you know and it's just so freaking funny like the women everyone in there is just hilarious and they're all not the same kind of dorky quirky funny they're all different kind of funny and i really appreciate that about the cast they're all beautiful women as well i mean not that that really matters too much but it's it's just a funny film it's just it makes me happy i love to bake so that's in there and you know i love all things you know weddings and and parties and romance and it, it, the movie's just perfect it has a little bit of everything yeah and it holds up so well like it does i'm still quoting it to this day like the number mm-hmm. of times i've said this should be open because civil rights civil rights this is the 90s 
<laughs> I do the um, I am Mrs. Iglesias <laughs> a lot. I do that too much. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to like briefly geek out before we start on our subject today? Um, what do I want to geek out on? Beyonce. <laughs> oh yeah, that new album. So I love Beyonce. I am a huge fan of hers. I saw her on Star Search because I am that age. Um, when she was on Girls Times, so my family used to watch Star Search. And so I saw them there. I, I vaguely remember them. Um, so I wouldn't say that I'm following her career since then, but I was a huge fan of Destiny's Child. Yes, and when that transitioned into everyone's solo career, I followed all of them. But, you know, obviously Beyonce was the most commercially successful. So I've really been a fan of hers since I would like to say the beginning of her career. So I am, I am in awe of this new album. It's a... Uh, disco it's trap music it's r&b it's just everything that i loved about the song blow on her self-titled album so if you're a blow fan you're a fan of this album so i i this album is just perfect to me i just love how she just keeps trying a bunch of different things like i remember as soon as lemonade came out i bought the visual album and that's like still one of the best things ever it is a great album and I just all her work holds up. I still listen to all her music to this day, um, but it's always just a huge celebration. And literally, the world does stop when she releases music, oh, yeah. and I I love that. And she's a pretty good actress too. Like I loved her yeah. in Dream Girls. Uh, you know, like. And well, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I I'm not a fan of her acting. <laughs> I uh, I love her music. I love her acting in her music videos, but I'm not a huge fan of her acting. Like, I'm not one of those Beyonce fans that's, like, completely, like, in awe of everything she does. Like, I'm not, like, technically beehive, but uh, I loved her in Dreamgirls, like you said, but not much or anything else. I, I thought she was also really good in uh, Austin Powers and Goldmember, her first, as far oh, as I know. Right. I forgot about that. I think that was her first one, but I did really enjoy her in that. I forgot about that movie, and yes, she was... I feel like she was playing herself in that movie. Like, yeah. she is a geeky, dorky, kind of goofy person. People don't really know that about her. But I, I think, yeah, that role was pretty much true to her. I think it might also be her presence. She has a presence that's, like, yeah. hard to deny. But it yeah, is, like, yeah. That, that kind of, like, shields the goofiness a little bit. But It does. I love when SNL does her, like, they, they always have that, like, gust of wind blowing through her yeah. hair. Yeah. <laughs> The ethereal kind of like wind blowing, yeah. It's it's Maya Rudolph that plays her, right? Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. Love her. Tied back into bridesmaid. Bridesmaid. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. I can't believe this. I fucking forgot my birthday. If I wanted a joke, I'd follow you into the john and watch you take a leak. the animal. Someone let them know that you didn't break me. So you wanted to talk about the films of John Hughes. Yes. John Hughes was like a staple of like 1980s cinema. He like made some of the best teen movies ever. Um, some of the most recognizable ones. I remember in high school, one of my teachers, my civics teacher, had um, a poster on his wall for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I think on the first day of class, he had to clarify, uh, don't let that fool you. I don't condone truancy. And I thought that was kind of funny. That's really cool. I wish I, more of my teachers were okay with his movies. I, I never really had that cool of a teacher. Aww. I mean, yeah, th those movies 
did have like something to them that like still they kind of still resonate today like i think someone can watch it today some things didn't age well but i feel like mostly they hold up mostly they hold up yes i rewatched a few of them in preparation for today's episode and yeah, yeah. some of it was very cringe uh some of it is it's just not not PC anymore. Like in today's time, with today's lens of of how we respect everyone, or you know, we all try to respect each other. And, you know, it's a uh, some of it is just not so good. It's 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 it doesn't fly for today's standards. But you know, back then when I was a child watching these films, it was funny, and I guess it still could be as long as you realize that hey, this is entertainment. This is not real life. This is. Very much Not, of the time. Ameri- yeah, exactly. Very much of the time, which was a lot different back then. And things have changed, thank goodness. It's kind of like how we discussed in um, uh, in the LGBT plus episode, like films that were made like in the 90s. There were things there that wouldn't fly today, even though right. like, for the time those were really progressive movies. Right. I mean, just the fact that they happened, that they were made is great and but no, I, I agree with you. There's uh, some movies just don't really age well. And yeah. uh, a few of John Hughes films are, are a little controversial yeah. for today's. I mean, we'll yeah. go into that a little bit. It will. Uh, what would you say defines John Hughes? What movie? Um, what movie defines John Hughes? In my opinion, it's uh, 16 Candles because that was the one that, you know, that was his first film where he brought out, you know, the teen kind of scope or a high school, you know, vibe of his films and everything that followed after that was that same I felt like it was in the same universe of Shermer, Illinois or like a Chicago suburb. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that was his first one. That was I believe his directorial debut, is that I correct? I think so. I know he'd written some things before that, but that was like the first one that he directed. Mm-hmm. Um for me, I would say the Breakfast Club. But I also uh. feel like that one res because I I saw that one later. I was like a senior in high school when uh, I saw that movie for the first time and I was blown away by it. It was just something that I, I don't know, it connected with me in a way that a lot of teen movies don't. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is I saw that one after I watched uh, Not Another Teen Movie and it still, it still landed. So okay, <laughs> even knowing all the parodies and how it was made fun of. One of the first films I ever saw from him was The Breakfast Club, and that is the movie, to me, that uh, it's one of my favorites from him. But, uh, yeah, I did see Not Another Team movie afterwards, and I'm, like, watching it, and I didn't know that the movie was a parody until, like, someone told me, like, oh, this is not... I was like, why is this movie so familiar? And like, oh, it's a parody of, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. It just took me a while to get it. Yeah, cause yeah. By, when that movie came out, like, I'd already seen She's All That, because that was like the big late 90s teen movie. And that was like the main movie it was like focusing on. But I hadn't seen all these other like 80s movies that it was also lampooning. And <clears> then like, he really did like a lot of John Hughes stuff. Like, it, it was it was fun. <laughs> It's it. Not another teen movie is hilarious, and now that I understand what it's supposed to be doing, yeah. and and uh, yeah, no, I love them. Uh, then there's also the scary movies that are in the similar kind of vein of making fun of other movies. Those are great too. He is most famous for, as we were discussing, the Brat Pack films, right? Uh, Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall, and 
16 Candles being the first one. Uh, <clears throat> it was That one was a good one. It has that iconic scene where they're like sitting uh, by that windowsill with the, the cake and the candles, and that was a cool scene. <clears throat> it also has one of the more problematic um, <clears throat> uh, characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, very much going with a racist Asian joke uh, doubling as a genitalia joke. Um, yeah, it's awful. It's it's. Let me just say it. It's awful. It's it's disgusting. When I first saw it, I was a child. I didn't know what that was. I wasn't thinking about genitalia, and uh, it's gross. But uh, yeah, I mean, it could be worse. I mean, Mickey Rooney in Breakfast and Tiffany's True. that was awful. Like he wasn't even an Asian man. He was a white man playing an Asian. And, yeah, I will say that for this character, they uh, they did get uh, Gede Watanabe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I recognized him from UHF. If you've seen that one, it was that Weird Al Yankovic movie where he played a, a martial arts instructor who ends up with his own game show. Oh no, that sounds really interesting. No, I did not know him from that. I do know him from ER. Oh, he was in ER as well. I did I not believe watch it was ER. ER. So that one's... But yeah, he was really funny in that one too. But also that one did once again play with Asian stereotypes. Again, he's a mm-hmm. martial arts instructor. Um, but maybe not quite as much as 16 Candles did. No, he... He isn't even a person. He's just a character. He's a, he's a cartoon basically in human form. It's... Um, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Product of the time. I mean, product of the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in quite a while, but uh, I guess I remember it being funny back then. I remember I, my family used to sit down in front of the TV and watch movies together. Uh, so it, we all laughed at it back then. I mean, but, you know. Yeah. It, it was something that, and it, the film did resonate for like a good, well over a decade. Uh, mm-hmm. after its release so it, uh, audiences were willing to forgive that and again just like talking about like the problematic elements that doesn't mean we have to hate this movie now but it's like to right. understand that this did in fact happen like it did i mean right. i also really enjoy breakfast at tiffany's but again the blemish of mickey rooney's character in that like it, it yeah it's uh it's hard to erase because it did happen um i don't really know if um long tuk tong really adds anything to the movie though i mean uh he oh gosh what's her name and and uh molly ringwald's character she is not able to sleep in her own bedroom because the foreign exchange student and her grandparents are staying in the house so she's kind of like off to the side so but uh that character just really doesn't add any comic i mean just i guess the comic relief to the movie but not really anything other than that but uh, overall it is a good movie it's romantic it's beautiful the way it ends with jake ryan and the cake and you know he gets her underwear back yeah (laughs) if you remember that it's really sweet uh it's it's a sweet movie it's it propelled molly ringwald to stardom and uh it opened many doors for many car- uh, actors including Gede Watanabe he has been booked and busy since the 80s so yeah and I'm glad for him he's a very talented actor uh, and again like when, when you're looking at like Hollywood and how it like treats uh, particularly a- Asian actors like at that time especially they 
basically had to take what was what was available mm-hmm. or you know run the risk of uh even worse like a white actor playing that character right right i mean they had all had bills to pay that was followed up by in 1985 by the breakfast club which yes my personal favorite of the bunch that one was uh it was a it was more drama than comedy like what i loved about it is like it took all of these teen stereotypes and just broke them down where it's like, oh gosh, the the brain, the princess, the the jock, yeah, the criminal, and the the basket case, side, the basket case. That's the one. Yeah, I mean, I can't really uh, speak to how well that terminology is aged, <laughs> but it really is just saying like, hey, you really judged us based on like preconceived notions of us when there's really so much more, and they didn't know that about each other until they started talking. Right. When the movie is, is great. I mean, a lot of things happen, but towards the end when the brain or Johnson is his character's name, he says, what's going to happen to us on Monday? Oh, you yeah. know, God, that broke my heart. Yeah, it broke I, my heart. That seems breaks my heart. Yeah. Right. Cause are we still going to be friends on Monday? And it just, it still gets me to this day. I get teary eyed because I mean, I, I consider myself um, a well-rounded person. And in high school, I was very much every single one of those characters all in one because uh, I guess my high school experience was was very much a little bit of every single one of those characters, which is a reason why I love that movie so much. But uh, I felt that way before, where you just happen to be friends with someone in the opposite friend group from you and just doesn't work out when you go back to school on monday you know yeah there was like a lot of a lot of that in high school you just had to kind of like find your click and stick with it right and i one thing i kind of wish these movies would explore a little bit more like especially knowing that john hughes himself would understand this is that there's more to life than high school like Mm -hmm so much is different i'm not even the same person i was in high school right no i'm definitely not the same person i was in high school i was awful in high school yeah uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah same <laughs> it, it, i do love that he doesn't dismiss them though he doesn't dismiss their worries he doesn't dismiss like what bothers them because these are like very real worries that teenagers have um he just doesn't explore that like in the scheme of things, so much of what they were worrying about didn't really matter. I don't want to say it didn't matter, but like it, there's a bigger world out there where later on it won't feel like it mattered. Right. They, all the characters in that film had, were going through something. I mean, with Johnson, yes, uh, his parents kept pushing him to be great and be good and like, get an A in everything he does. I mean, all that mattered to them were his grades. For Sporto, uh, played by Emilio Estevez, him, I guess his problem was uh, that he got caught basically making, you know, uh, he glued or taped someone's butt cheeks together with duct tape, and he got in trouble for that. But the only reason he did that was to impress his parents, yeah, his dad specifically. So he was only living his life to please his dad. And uh, Princess, played by Molly Ringwald, 
I forgot why she was in trouble, but her issue with her was that her parents were using her to get back at each other, like back and forth. So she was caught in the middle of that. And Bender, the criminal, he his parents were abusive to him. His dad beat him. His dad was very much an alcoholic. That was like one and, of the most heart wrenching speeches when he's like yeah. when he's like recounting like how his father speaks to him. Like Yeah. It's 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 like you said, it's more dramatic than it is funny. And the basket case, her issues were that her parents ignore her. So yeah. she cries out for attention. She does things that, that normally a normal person wouldn't because she wants attention. She craves it. And so they are all going through some really, really heavy stuff. And somehow they all understand each other that one Saturday in the library. For me, like, it does send a message that, like, you don't know what someone else is going through. And... Uh- I don't want to like say this is an uh, this is one of those be kind narratives, but like there is like this whole idea of like understand, try to understand someone who's different. Right. That it very much does say that to me. It said that um, that we're all going through something, so just be kind to one another. And it, it was it's just a beautiful movie overall. It's very entertaining. It's very funny, but um, it's very real. And it hits home to my high school experience because I got in trouble a lot and I had detention a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it, it speaks to um, to a lot of teenagers. Um, I don't know about, I don't know many teenagers nowadays and I don't know if they've seen it, but I do know that my nieces and nephews, because their parents, my brothers and sisters, grew up with the movie, they you know, love the movie, and it's just kind of one of those films that speaks to multiple generations. And I, I maybe Gen Z will like it, or who knows? Yeah, I, I was definitely a different generation from when the movie came out. It was good two decades before I was in high school, and a lot of it still held up. Mm-hmm. I feel like it does explore a lot of universal themes. It does. It's a it's a great film. Uh, one of the scenes that sticks out to me the most is. A scene where they're smoking marijuana in the up, you know, on the second level of the library, and then for some reason the glass breaks when when Sporto like just screams. Do, do you remember that scene? Yeah, that's just hilarious. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I smoked pot before, and I've never felt that way. So. <laughs> that's been good, some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was something else in that. That same year, he would make the movie Weird Science. Yes. Um. Okay, so they use the computer to create a woman to, um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the it's problematic. Is a little problematic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this was also very common in the eighties. Like this particular like uh, H word mm-hmm. going on. Um, it it lasted into the '90s, I would say. It's um, it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but it, it's definitely something because John Hughes went from making The Breakfast Club, which was just it spoke about how teenagers felt, yeah, to then making Weird Science, which focused only on the H word male in high school. You know, it's just like it, like how do you go from being so deep and emotional and 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 heart wrenching and and looking at 
teenagers as real humans with real problems to breaking them down to just being H word. Well, maybe, you know, Breakfast Club was a shot. Weird Science was a chaser. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, maybe he just wanted to do something more comedic. Uh, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I don't know how well it aged. Just going off of the premise, I'm going to assume not very well. <laughs> yeah, probably not very well. Not very well at all. It's just, it's so weird to me that, I mean, first of all, I mean, it's just the woman that they made is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, she's beautiful. I remember her to this day. She's a glamazon, just a beautiful woman. The amazing, uh, uh, I believe, Kelly LeBrock. Yes, that's her. And she still looks very much beautiful. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, I don't really remember, remember much about it besides them creating the perfect woman. It's not a memorable film to me. Yeah, it's one of, I, it's not one of my favorite ones. Um, it did do well enough that it spawned a TV series almost oh, 10 was, years later. I was not aware of that. That's really funny yeah i remember like seeing it i didn't know it was a movie beforehand but uh it had it ran for a good 88 episodes five seasons five seasons yeah so the show was pretty uh pretty popular for its time from 94 to 98 wow that's a really long time yeah and it's the same premise they created they created this perfect woman using a computer and shenanigans ensue shenanigans and so i wonder if there's any parallels between mary shelley's frankenstein and weird science i think there was definitely something there um frankenstein has definitely inspired so many other like stories about just creating a person uh including the rocky horror picture show right I'm right sure, i mean yeah it's uh it's it's definitely mary shelley's frankenstein is it gives life to a lot of modern day things it's, it's it inspires a lot of sci-fi to this yeah. day and i yeah i could see weird science definitely being inspired by that uh one that he i when i did my research for this i thought until yesterday he directed this one but he didn't uh he only wrote pretty in pink oh he wrote it yeah. okay i was surprised because i could have sworn he was the director Right, I could have sworn that too. I mean, I just know that his name's attached to it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Howard Dutch. Dutch? Howard Dutch? You're uh, probably saying that right. Uh, he also directed Some Kind of Wonderful. So I guess if John Hughes didn't want to direct his screenplay, he would just hand it to this guy. Right, maybe he was too busy. Yeah, he was working on Ferris Bueller's Day Off at this time. Because uh, that came out the same year. Right, I see that. This one... This is the one with the geeky, the geeky best friend who like is also in love with her. Um, I remember this more for the not another teen movie spoof, where her friend is like obviously in love with her and like uh, chasing her down to the point where everyone's like, "You'll never be more than just a friend," and just like pushing him out of the way. And <laughs> yes, uh, it's Ducky, right? Is this Ducky? Name? Yeah. Ducky, yeah. See, I always thought Ducky was gay. Uh, you know what? Just knowing the uh, gay experience in high school, I can see that probably. He was very much flamboyant, the way he did his hair, the way he dressed. Uh, it gave very much fashionable male of the time. I mean, the way he, Ducky dressed versus, you know, the other guys that were just in sport coats and, like, uh, 
sweater vests and things like that. Ducky was very fashionable. Ducky was everything. very much. I liked his style. Yes, his hair is amazing too. I wish I could get my hair like that. Molly Ringwald told Out Magazine that she believed Cryer's character was gay, but Cryer <clears throat> did not agree with that. Oh, yeah. Um, he's not gay. So he's not gay. He's not gay. But Molly Ringwald seems to believe that he is. That his character in the movie that his character was gay. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Well, gay coding or what do you what does he call it? Gay. Uh, queer coding. Queer coding, coding. That's the uh, one. You know, maybe I don't know what John if John Hughes like where he stood uh, politically. I never really looked that up, but um. I kind of don't want to look that up. So part of me doesn't want to know. I don't want to know either. I just yeah. I, I I like it's the way I feel about him is the way you might feel about Walt Disney. Yeah. It's just you know we're in all of the things that these men have created and we just really don't want to touch below the surface too much he did some good things let's leave it at that <laughs> yeah great things good things well you know harry dean stanton was also in pretty in pink and i don't know if you know him too much but he was in green mile he was in yes. alien yes. twin yeah, peaks yeah he's a very very good actor that was a good cast it was a very well-written movie um i think it's Again, I could have sworn John Hughes directed it, but uh, I was wrong about that one. He did direct Ferris Bueller's Day Off. My personal favorite. That one, if Breakfast Club is my favorite, Ferris Bueller is like a cl very close second. It's one of his most iconic movies. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off was released on my birthday, like the actual day I was born. Oh, really? So, right, yes. So uh, I love that film. I mean, I have that connection because it was released on the day I was born. But also because ugh, I was very much a troublemaker in high school. And not just because I saw the film, but that's... Now, I wouldn't say I was the Ferris Bueller of my high school. That's that's, that's no way in, in any way, shape, or form. But I ditched class a lot, and I had a lot of fun when I was not in class. Oh, that was the whole point of the movie, is like, school is pointless. Uh, skip it and have fun. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, he, very, he lived a, a charmed life, and... Uh, he got away with a lot of things, and, you know, I tried to get away with a lot of things, so. And usually in a movie like that, you would expect him to get, like, some kind of, like, teenage comeuppance, like, learning a lesson, but no. No. <laughs> the the principal all. was the villain of that movie, and, like, you wanted Ferris Bueller to succeed. It's like, it's like the ultimate, like, teenager's fantasy to, like, be able to skip school do a bunch of outlandish stuff and get away with it. Oh yeah, that was the goal every single time I ditched class, for sure. I don't think I've ever done a full ditch. If it was like it was something like where my like my parents like signed me out of class or stuff like that, but I've never done like a ditch. But I was always scared. No, I, it was very scary every single time that I would not you know, be in class because, you know, my mom might definitely find out about it because she knew very much a lot of administrators at school. Um, but going back to Ferris Bueller, it's just, he's a lovable person. And I don't know if there's any other film that John Hughes has made where the fourth wall is broken. Not like that. Not like that. Not so blatant. Yeah. Um, even like the stuff that he's written is doesn't do that like written and not directed 
Right. There's one that he almost made that probably would have done that, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, it's just the way that Ferris Bueller speaks to the audience. He's you're with him the entire way. He could be in the middle of a conversation with his friends and he will look at the camera and say something to you and like make you feel he pulls you in. Uh Ferris did a great job. Matthew, Matthew Broderick, Broderick excuse yeah. me. Matthew Broderick did a wonderful job doing that. Yeah, he really does get you on his side. And especially like pointing out like how did they believe me? That was like one of my worst performances. Like that was a, that was a cool little thing. Um that one still that one is another one that still holds up in that in Deadpool, the very first one, after the credits, like Deadpool does the Ferris Bueller after the credits sequence and it's hilarious. Yes, and The Office does it as well. Yeah. And then I believe there's someone else that does it too. What are you still I forget. What's doing here? Go home. I know um, that they use a similar ending in School of Rock. Like, oh. it's part of the song that they're playing during the end credits where it's like, get out the clean. Like, he's singing, get out. The cleaning guys are trying to come in to clean up the stuff off the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, so, Ferris Bueller, um, he does get in trouble at the end of the movie. But, you know, his sister throughout the entire film is just, like, planning his demise, trying her very best to get him in trouble because he seems to be getting away with everything while she doesn't. And uh, she ends up being his saving grace at the end of the film. She makes up with him and, like, pulls him out of, uh, from under the principal's thumb, basically. That was a cool scene, too. It it was a cool scene. It was siblings getting along, and I like that, so that's good. The twist and shout scene is iconic. Right, that's the Beatles, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where he's just singing it in the middle of a parade. It's like, in that would never fly today with all the social media and everything. Like all the teachers, teachers would be like, Hey, you weren't sick. Right. Like they, they, but he'd get caught right away. Well, he almost does get caught. If you see one of the the same scene, uh, no, they're at the baseball game. And, uh, the teacher, his principal happens to be at a bar at the same time that the camera happens to be on Ferris at the baseball game. And it's just a split second. The teacher turns to look at the television and it, the camera pans away from Ferris, but he almost got caught. Yeah. The museum scene is also iconic. It is. I think, uh, I mean, gosh, I, I just went to Chicago and I didn't get to go to the museum, but oh. I, uh, it's a beautiful, I like the way they um, bring the art into you and the, the, they zoom in and to the art and uh, you get to see like the soul of the paintings. It's really nice. Yeah. And you get to see these characters connecting with the painting too. And that's, that's pretty cool. Right, I think that's uh, wonderful as well. Um, what else do they do that day? The Charlie Sheen cameo was pretty hilarious. Charlie Sheen was so hot in that movie. Drugs. What? Drugs. No. <laughs> what are you in for? Drugs. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's hilarious. That's uh, Jeannie, right? Yes. That's the sister's name. She's in there. Why did she get in trouble? Oh, she calls the police. Because the principal is snooping inside her house. Yeah. And she she ends up going to jail. See, that's just how much bad luck that she has. That yeah. she got in trouble for calling the police on someone else. So, admittedly, uh, the one that he made after this one, which he also did not direct, but he did write it, um, Some Kind of Wonderful, I did not see that one. I just watched it about two hours ago. Oh, nice. It's one of the films that I never really watched because it was later in John Hughes's 
Brat Pack collection of films. And I just I just saw it. I'm sorry, what was that? I believe it was the last one. It's the last one. It was released in 1987, and uh, it it filmed in Los Angeles in the neighborhood of Hancock Park and also in the neighborhood of San Pedro. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, so I know where these places are. And um, when I see the film, I think of home because, you know, Los Angeles is just a big set to the rest of the world, but it's home to me. So uh, it's, I just start for, like I said, I just start for the first time. And uh, it's actually okay. It's it's not his best film. It's probably my least favorite, right after Weird Science. Um, it uh, takes place in the eighties, and it's the story of Keith Nelson. He is a blue collar high school kid. You know, he was a kind of kid from a poor family, and he uh, he goes to work after school, and he's a mechanic, and he works at a gas station, and his best friend is Watts. And uh, played by Mary Stewart Masterson, she's in love with Keith, and but he's in love with Amanda Jones, played by Leah Thompson. It's just kind of um, chasing, like you know, one's chasing another, and uh, Eric Stoltz, uh, who plays Keith Nelson, you know, he he's madly in love with Amanda Jones. He has this fascination with her. And everything he likes or he thinks he likes about Amanda Jones, he actually likes about his best friend, Watts. That's kind of a cool little twist. It's like a twist on the Pretty in Pink story where he actually does, like, secretly love his, his friend. Right. He Yeah, he loves her back. And um, they end up getting together at the end of the film. But um, I don't know, something about it. I didn't, I didn't really like the ending. I didn't really like the way it was, go- where it was going. I didn't like that um, there was a... a so there's these wealthy kids and then they're the poor kids, right? The poor kid doesn't get with the wealthy kid at the end. So it kind of says, you know, maybe the poor kids belong with each other and maybe the wealthy kids kids belong with each other. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it does say that. Maybe it doesn't. But while true love did conquer all towards the end, you know, if you, Keith it, Nelson. It feels like that one, because that one's the one that I didn't hear much about, like, growing up. It kind of, right. like, ends at Ferris Bueller and that's about it. Right, it's no one really talks about this movie because it's honestly it's not that great. Um, I, I forced myself to watch it today. I've tried to watch it before and it it didn't really hit home with anything. It was just yeah. nice to see parts of the city. Kind of that, a completionist you know, I, thing. Right, yeah. It, 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 like I said, it was it's just okay. The ending here in some kind of wonderful, which is you know the best friend, the best friends end up you know together is what was supposed to happen in Pretty in Pink. I don't know if you read that. Oh. The original ending for Pretty in Pink was Ducky and Molly Ringwald's character getting together at yeah, the end. I didn't know that. So, yeah, that, the original ending was that Andy and Ducky were to get together at the end of the film, but it didn't do well in test audiences. So a few months after it was filmed... uh John Hughes went in, got everyone back together on set, and they refilmed it, reshot the ending with Andy getting with Blaine, I think. Yeah, the the hot guy. The hot guy, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I read that it was like one of the most critically acclaimed soundtracks of all time yeah. for that era. It was the 80s. The 80s had great music in general. Right. So the soundtrack is 
with psychedelic furs and OMD, which stands for Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. I believe that's what they're called. I mean, if you think about it, like, all of the soundtracks to his movies are, like, Don't You Forget About Me is, like, one of the most iconic, like, soundtrack, uh, like, needle drops of all time, like, at the end of Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like soundtracks are a strong suit for these movies, in general. Mm-hmm. The, uh, that movie, I'm sorry, not that song, uh, Don't You Forget About Me, was originally supposed to be performed by Billy Idol or Billy Idol was supposed to be featured on the soundtrack for The Breakfast Club but he turned it down so whoever sings Don't You Forget About Me what, what are they called? Simple Minds sim- I, was about, I was about to say A Simple Plan I'm like that's not right <laughs> no that's the 2000s <laughs> wrong decade yeah so Simple Minds uh, shot to stardom because of Breakfast Club and that song yeah, so. that's a good song, too. Yeah, it is. And um, so If You Leave, which is uh, back to, uh, sorry, back to Pretty in Pink, If You Leave, which was the ending song for the film, was recorded 24 hours before the, um, I'm sorry, If You Leave was recorded less than 24 hours for the newly reshot Andy slash Blaine ending. So, uh, yeah, so originally it wasn't in the movie. It was rewritten, re-recorded, not rewritten, but written and re- and recorded for the Andy and Blaine ed- ending, which is, is, I think, pretty cool. Really fast. <laughs> really fast. I mean, who does that? Yeah. So outside of the Brat Pack films, uh, John Hughes made a lot of movies for more adult audiences. He wrote uh, the first Vacation movies movie, and I believe European Vacation. The First Vacation and European Vacation. The National Lampoon, Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo um, was recently remade. Uh, but yeah, those are really good. Probably my favorite one of those, Christmas Vacation. Uh, he also did, probably my favorite, well, no, because I'm looking at the another movie on there that might also be a contender for my favorite both with John Candy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and mm-hmm. Uncle Buck. Those are very funny films. Oh my gosh, both of them are great. They're so good. Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of my favorites oh, so uh, for the adults. Yeah, that one, <laughs> I saw it recently, and I was just blown away by like how much it was making me laugh. But then you have that like tender scene where like you find out like why John Candy's character is like the way that he is and yeah it's, like, it's heartbreaking it is i wasn't expecting that at all i was it just threw me off when when that scene came about at the train station it's the elevated train in chicago right where yeah right and he's just uh john candy's character is just still sitting there on his suitcase just waiting for nothing basically because his wife has been what dead for six years yeah yeah it's really sad and um it's a it's a lovely ending where uh, Steve Martin's character takes John Candy to back to his home and introduces him to the family and everything. It's it's really sweet. Yeah, and it's like it, outside of that, it's like this screwball comedy premise, like this odd couple 
just trying to get home everything is going wrong when the car blows up and they're driving home in like the the shell of the car that is like (laughs) that's just hilarious the movie is otherwise hilarious and you have this moment where he like brings it down and and goes all right we're gonna get serious for a minute and then like it just becomes this really sweet and uh very well-made movie it's one i think it's one of his best it is very good and i think it's mostly because john candy's in it john candy is hilarious or was hilarious making recipes and and that and an uncle buck yes macaulay culkin is in that i think was that his first movie i don't know i know that he's his acting isn't as good in that movie as it is in home alone so maybe it was the year before home alone oh okay yeah macaulay culkin was in that um the dynamics between all the characters are fun. Um, one of the funniest lines in it, and I just feel so bad because now looking back on it, it's like it's kind of ableist, uh, where um, the teacher with the 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 counselor with the mole, mm-hmm. uh, it's like he made a lot of jokes about the mole. Oh gosh! Up to and including have a rat gnaw that thing off your face. <laughs> and like yeah the, oh, char- the character herself is awful but he just kind of like latched onto like a feature she had no control over and it feels really mean now but when i was a kid i thought that was like the funniest line yeah it's it's really funny you know who else is in that movie gabby hoffman do you know who gabby hoffman is Gabby hoffman uh she is in now and then oh that's right which is a, a, a subject for another time but that's also a really good movie Oh, that's right from uh from Field of Dreams, the little girl from that movie. Yeah, she's also in that too. Yeah, Field, she's in Field of Dreams, Uncle Bugs, Sleep is in Seattle, Now and Then, Volcano, All I Want to Do. She is a really really good child actress from the eighties yeah. and nineties. She's also in uh, Girls too, the HBO series Girls. Oh, really? Yeah. I need to watch because yeah. I watched a few episodes of that, but I never really like. Yeah, you should get into it. She plays a crazy person in Girls. It's really good. Nice. So a lo- we talked about Home Alone uh, briefly. We did. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't know that John Hughes wrote Home Alone. I didn't know that until you told me today. I had yeah. absolutely no idea. Home Alone is another one of my favorite films. It is the film that my family puts on during Christmas. I remember... That's one of the first movies I remember watching in theaters. Not the first, because I know for a fact that I watched Kindergarten Cop the week before. <laughs> so I watched, I, I know that because I think we were supposed to watch Home Alone, but it was such a box office hit that I'm assuming it got sold out. So we ended up going the next week to the drive-in to watch it. Wow, the drive-in, that's really cool. Yeah. Gosh, I missed that. And I'm like five years old watching this movie, and it's one of the most hilarious things I'd ever seen. It is a hilarious film i still laugh to this day i know that the gags are coming i know i know what's gonna happen i could probably you know recite the movie line by line but it's still funny to me it's it's hilarious the ultimate holiday comfort movie pretty much yeah, yeah. i mean and joe pesci is i love how because that guy cusses so much in all of his movies and in this one he had to just kind of like mumble through it and it's yeah. it's hilarious watching watching him try not to cuss. <laughs> His little yeah. it's so funny. Uh, other movies that a lot of people don't know that he wrote was a uh, Beethoven, the one about the dog. The dog. Um, the remake of Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street with Mara Wilson. Wow. 
the 101 Dalmatians remake with Glenn Close. Iconic. Right? Uh, Flubber with Robin Williams. Another iconic film. Uh, he didn't write the screenplay, but he came up with the story for Made in Manhattan. The I Jennifer love that Lopez. film. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good, too. I loved it. And I think the latest, the most recent one, it was like a Judd Apatow production, uh, Drillbit Taylor. I've heard of it. Not a huge fan of Owen Wilson, but I have heard of that movie. Yeah, it's not out of the Judd Apatow canon. It's probably not my favorite one. It has its moments. Mm -hmm. Um, It does feel like the story would have worked better in the 80s. Oh, I see. Okay, maybe I should watch it, see how it goes. Yeah, it's all right. It has moments. And I think uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg co-wrote the screenplay for it, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's got those super bad vibes, but it's very PG-13. Okay, so it's safe for the family. Going back to Flubber, I know that Flubber there is a remake of the... Remind me of his name? He's the chimney sweep in Mary Poppins. Oh, the absent-minded professor, I think, is what it was a remake of. If I'm not oh. mistaken. I okay. Uh, you were thinking of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. No, no, no. I'm thinking of Hit of Bang Flubber Bang. as a remake of, I guess, the absent-minded professor. But what is the name of that actor? It wasn't Dick Van Dyke. I don't. Oh think. no. It was uh, Fred McMurray who appeared in a lot of like the live-action Disney movies from the '60s. Oh, okay. I thought that was the same person. They look very similar. Um, he also did a lot of like film noir stuff in the forties too. So he's like, he'd been around for a while, but he has done a few things for Disney, like particularly in the sixties. Oh, I see. Like I he was, was also aware the, that. the shaggy dog. Okay. I had no idea. So I'm looking at the flubber Wikipedia and it says that it is a science fiction comedy written by Les Mayfield. Uh, a remake of the absent minded professor. Wow. Okay. I had no idea. Maybe that was a story credit then. I might have... It shows up on uh, John Hughes' page, though. Yeah, uh, John Hughes... Um, it's produced by John Hughes oh, and it produced. Ricardo. Oh, I missed... Mm-hmm. I, oh, wait. Yeah, there we go. And are. also screenplay. Also, you're right. Yeah, Sco- he did do John, screenplay. Screenplay and produced by... Yeah. Robin Williams is hilarious in everything he does. Oh, yeah. But... I, I'd watch anything with Robin Williams. Absolutely. I don't... I might have seen this one, like, when it, like, showed on the Disney Channel or whatever. I don't remember, though. I don't remember it. I think the last time I saw it was when it came out, honestly. 1997. Yeah. Wow. So there are some unproduced things that he was working on uh, that just didn't happen. One that I'm kind of, like, really sad didn't happen um, was called Jaws 3 People Zero. It was supposed to be a co-production with National Lampoon, and it would have been both an official part three to Jaws, but also a parody of Jaws. Oh my gosh, that sounds hilarious. And I feel like that would have been better than the movie we got, but also... Agreed. Like, um, Spielberg nixed the idea. When he found out they were doing it, he was like, no, and if you do it, I will never work with Universal again. So, wow. Yeah, he's he can play that card. So, but, you know, also, and I respect Spielberg. He's my favorite filmmaker. um, But because of that, we got Jaws 3D. So, uh, we we could have had a funny movie. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, it. 
probably would have worked as a parody in the same vein as the scary movies and the Not Another Teen movie, but I guess, you know, it didn't. Yeah. He had a suburban version of Romeo and Juliet called Motorheads vs. Sportos. Wow. That uh, sounds really good. Yeah. That was an interesting idea. He wanted to do an animated Peanuts movie. Love Peanuts. Yeah. That that wouldn't happen until, like, what, 2014, 2015? Right. It was yeah. computer animated at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, he wanted to do a Damn Yankees remake. That's a really good musical. I don't have never heard of it. I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but I will look into it. That sounds fun. It's a guy who's like not a fan of the Yankees, the baseball team, um, and makes a deal with the devil to play for the opposing team. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. That sounds really funny. There was a movie in the 50s, uh, but he would have remade it for, I'm going to assume, the 90s. That's really cool. That sounds really funny. Yeah. I would I would like to see a remake of that, to be honest. The 50s one was pretty good, too. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. And then there's Dumb and Dumber, which did end up getting made by the Farrelly brothers. Uh, was John Hughes not attached to that at all? Because Dumb and Dumber is hilarious. I feel like he took his name off the project when he handed it over to the Farrelly brothers. Gosh, I wonder why that happened. I know that um, John Hughes had a different... Uh, a pseudonym. Yeah. Have you seen it? Um, Do you happen to know why that happens? Um, that is, it. I know a lot of times they go with like an Alan Smithy name if they're not proud of a project. Oh. But uh, I don't think that's why. I don't think he's particularly like not proud of anything that he's done. Uh, Beethoven's Treasure Trail as Edmund Dantes. Edmund Dantes, that's why. Okay, so Edmund Dantes is a character from The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, the main that's character. hilarious. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Maybe he likes that book. <laughs> I don't know. Also, Made in Manhattan story as Edmund Dantes. Yeah. And Drobe Taylor as well. Yeah. That's I'm funny. not sure why, but yeah, that's... Maybe he's just a fan of... Um, Alexander Dumas, I maybe. Uh, maybe, or maybe his name was attached to so many 80s films and the 80s kind of vibe that he didn't want to take away from these producers and screenwriters that were coming up. I mean, who knows? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility as well. So I, that's all I got on John Hughes. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I don't have anything to add. I think that uh, everyone should watch The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, out of all the movies, I would definitely go with those. Um, I don't want to say don't watch the other ones. I will say watch them with um, with caution. Oh, yeah, definitely uh, watch with caution. the sensibilities are going to be different <laughs> than they were uh, back then. Mm -hmm. um, and there are things that definitely did not age well. Definitely not. Uh, and yeah, definitely skip uh, some kind of wonderful. Just don't put yourself through the agony that I just did. Was it's it that awful. bad? It's just, it's not great. No, it's not I mean, great. Maybe not in comparison with the other ones. I feel like, yeah. Right. I kind of want to see it just for completion purposes. But Yeah, that's the reason why I watched it today. But it's just, it didn't really give me anything. I didn't walk away from it with any sense of awe or anything. It's just, it was just okay. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. 
And I want to have them answered immediately. So let me see. My one question that I got, we actually, <laughs> we actually went over this on the episode. Uh, Milady of Disney on Twitter asked, "Is the is there a John Hughes film you feel hasn't aged well at all, or is it more about bits, pieces, and characters that are cringy in today's worldview?" Um, yeah. I yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say so. Um, I actually just saw this question right now because it just came up like maybe like it, it was tweeted an hour ago. So it was like right before we started uh, recording. Um, yeah, like we discussed earlier, I feel like. Yeah, 16 Candles for yeah. sure. And, and I, again, I would say don't not watch 16 Candles. It's good. But also understand that there's a character who is basically a caricature. Right. Of an actual person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely watch 16 Candles for the romance and for the ending, but just maybe fast forward through the long duck dong scenes. Yeah. They don't add anything. She also had a recommendation. It was a John Hughes film, or screenplay. Um, there's a film called Nate and Hayes. Nate and Hayes. With uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, it has some serious topics. Uh with a swashbuckling humor and it's a tad ridiculous which that's probably right up my alley i would probably enjoy that so i will take that recommendation and i'm going to have to look it up yeah i didn't even see that on his filmography i I probably just like glazed past it because i did glaze past some of the ones like oh i haven't heard of this but uh i will add that to my list and i will look it up and hey is 1983 uh directed by ferdinand fairfax Tommy Lee Jones is in it. John Hughes was one of the screenwriters. Uh, Swashbuckling Adventure, uh, mid-1800s, South Pacific Islands. Okay, I'll check that out. Uh, I'm actually looking it up now because, like, she also recommended The Wedding Banquet, and I just completely missed that that was an Ang Lee film. And... Yeah, I I was like mad at myself for that because we like did an entire ep- like we talked about Brokeback and how he directed that one and that wasn't even his first gay movie. I love that movie. I mean that episode. It was so thank you nice and I took all the recommendations and I wrote them down and I'm going to get my get through those for sure because uh, I I really appreciate you your podcast and your recommendations. So thank, thank you. you. It's me taking the bull by the horns. That's how I handle my business. It's a metaphor. I get it. But that actually happened, though. So, you chose to do, for our rotating segment, uh, Wrong Answers Only. I'm going to have to start uh, stopping people from picking this one. <laughs> this one and, like, reappraisals are, like, our most my most popular ones, and I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm only doing these ones now. <laughs> They're fun, though. They are really fun. And I just texted you the, uh, the poster... For what a is this? film called Transylvania Six Five Thousand, so I'm gonna post this on the show notes. Okay. Um, the tagline says, "Wanted: Two thrill-seeking reporters, brains optional, looking to dig up the story of the century." For information, call and there's the title: Transylvania Six Five Thousand. This is starring Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, and is that? That is not Robert Redford, but that looks like Robert Redford. I'm not going to lie. Is that Gina Davis? Gina Davis. To- yep. Towards the end? Yep, that is yep. her? she's on there. Carol Kane, Ed Bagley Jr. This is like 
a who's who of like 80s 80s names like I love Sheena Davis a who's who and also a who's that but yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm going to say that this film is about monsters uh, like the werewolf and the swamp thing and just going based off of the poster I see four different paws. Yeah, different kinds of like monster hands. Different kinds of monsters. And from, yeah, and it looks like these reporters are maybe trying to capture evidence that they exist. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, the Jeff Goldblum over there, he's like holding a phone. Like, where did he find a phone in a cemetery? This is the 80s. Cell phones didn't (laughs) exist. This is hilarious. I think I might want to actually watch this film. Yeah. And the guy who looks like Robert Redford, uh, but is not Robert Redford, I believe that is uh, Joseph Bologna. Not uh, Bologna. Yeah, he looks like right. Robert Redford, though. I swear, you he look does. At this, I, I'm like, oh, I know. Oh, it's not him. But yeah, he's, he's a, a Walmart Robert Redford. Yeah, basically. There's like a lightning storm going on in the background. There's a Dracula's castle in the back. Uh, Oh, there it is. Yeah, that's you're right. That, I thought that was a radio tower because of the electricity. Yeah. It's a very low-quality picture, I have to say. Sorry, yeah, it was, it was the 80s. <laughs> but also, yeah, it's a low-quality picture. They're, they are, they're in the ground, it looks like. So what Yeah, if, they're popping out of the ground. What if they're stationed, like, in a grave? And when they get called, they rise from the grave and... Uh, uh, yeah. There's a lot going on here. It looks like the technology of the camera is really old. Yeah, like this is very the 50s. 50s, yeah. And he's wearing, like, a very, like, the kind of hat he's wearing reminds me of his Girl Friday. It reminds me of um, Indiana Jones. Yeah, but with a little press hat, the press thing. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, like, it's a fedora with, you know, for the press, but, like, is this a period piece? It could be. It could be. It could very much be. Uh, but yeah, like looks like all the monsters are in this. You got the Wolfman. You got a mummy. You got uh, what looks like a Frankenstein monster. And so I'm going to assume that's a vampire, but it's it could just be someone with uh, who's just got a really nice manicure. Okay. Yeah, it could be that too. Yeah, I don't know. I'd want to show off my nails if they look like that too. Uh, I'd be honest. <laughs> But yeah, it's got a nice cast. Carol Kane, I love her. She's she's hilarious. Uh, Gina Davis is great. Yeah, I might want to check this one out. Uh, directed by Rudy DeLuca. Um, very uh, very strange poster though. I have to say. Yeah, it is. I'm looking up Carol Kane now because she looks very familiar. She's um, she's done a lot of like comedic stuff. Um, she's a very funny actress. She was in The Princess Bride. Um, Scrooged, The Ghost of Christmas pa- uh, Christmas uh, Past? She's one mm-hmm. of the ghosts in Scrooged. She's the one who throws a toaster at Bill Murray. Uh, she's Granny in Adam's Family Values. Only the second one, though. She wasn't in the first. Okay. So that's, that's what she's mostly known for. Mm-hmm. Oh no, you know what? I wasn't confusing her with anyone. She is in that show. <laughs> what un- show is this? Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yes, that's who she looks like. Yeah. She's the 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 landlord. 
I do confuse her with somebody else, though, and it is killing me that I don't... Because a very similar style of humor. Um, Tracy Ullman. I knew it was an Ullman. Ah, I know who Tracy Ullman is. Yeah. From the Tracy Ullman show. And the reason why I was confusing her with her is because... One played Granny in Adam's Family Values. One played Latrine in Robin Hood Men in Tights. And they are very similar characters. <laughs> Latrine. That's hilarious. You changed it to Latrine? Yeah, it used to be shit ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good change. <laughs> yes, very good. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at this underscore is underscore Ralph. That's where you'll find me. Perfect. Are there any personal, like, projects you would like to plug, or...? No, my personal life is very boring. Aww. Hey, I've seen your Insta. You're, like, going to, like... You, you went to a lot of the locations from uh, John Hughes movies. I've seen those. Those are fun. I did. I did. I am a very big fan of John Hughes movies and the... 80s Brat Pack films. I went to Chicago for the first time ever, not so long ago, for Lollapalooza, and I themed every single day's outfit after one of the characters from uh, The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller. So, yeah, you can look for that on my Instagram. All right. Well, thank you for appearing on our show. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And thank you for sending in the questions, too. Those were good questions in previous oh, episodes. So. You're welcome. I'll send some more in. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And uh, for everyone at home, I hope you are not just entertained, but somehow reborn together. Love it. <laughs> Have a good one, Chris. Thank Have you. Have a good one. Thanks.